You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. <laughs> good morning, everyone. I, I'm going to start by talking about. Um, I'm going to start by talking about something that I talk about all of the time. It's like one of my favorite talking points. I've preached on it before, and so I went back to find out how often I preached on it. I've preached on this twice, and I'm going to preach on it a third time, because I think it's that important right now. So forgive me if you've heard me say these things before. That is my caveat, all right? I think it's important enough to say again. And here's what I'm going to say to you this morning. I'm going to tell you that at the turn of the 20th century, the year 1900, human beings doubled their knowledge Once every 100 years. Makes sense. Okay. 1945, the the TV comes around and radio is really popular. Human beings double their knowledge once every 25 years. Wow, okay. Now we're starting to speed things up a little bit. At the turn of the 21st century, the year 2000, human beings double their knowledge every 13 months. So in a span of 100 years, we went from doubling our knowledge once every 100 years to doubling our knowledge once every 13 months. And in the year 2020, while we don't have the exact statistic, we are doubling our knowledge every few months. They say in the next 35 years, we're going to double our knowledge. Are you ready for this? Once every 12 hours. Wow, that's ridiculous. So what does that do for humanity? Is it a good thing for humanity? No. It's a terrible thing for humanity. We have not evolved enough to handle all of the knowledge that we are acquiring. And so what we do is this puts us into a bit of a crisis. We have so much information coming at us. We're not uh, equipped. We haven't evolved enough to actually handle that information coming at, at us. So we're in crisis. So what do human beings do when we're in crisis? We double down on tribalism. Y'all love your tribalism? We love our tribalism. I mean, in some sense, Forefront's got a a bit of a tribe, right? And and so here's the thing with tribalism. What we do is we get together with like-minded people, people who act like us, most of the time people who look like us, most of the time people who think the same way as we think, and all that information comes in. And so what we do in our little tribes is we start to disseminate that information together. And the information in our tribe that helps us, that benefits us, that keeps us going, we keep that information. And the information that does not benefit us, we throw that information away. Now, it doesn't matter if that information is true or not, or objective, or factual. If it doesn't benefit us in our tribe, we take that information and we toss it. We get rid of it. We move on from it. This is what happens when we are no longer capable of of taking in the knowledge we're acquiring and disseminating it in a, a timely manner. It's coming at us way too fast. We don't know what to do. We get together with a bunch of people, we take in some of it, we throw out some of it. Now, on to the second point that I bring up all the time. There are 12 species that operate in tribes. Human beings are one of them. And yet human beings are the only species that will create an enemy where there is no enemy. I always love that. We create enemies where there is none, where there are none. That's what I should say. And so what do we do? So what we end up doing is we end up taking this information in, and then the information we throw away that goes to other tribes, other tribes might believe that information, all of a sudden that other tribe becomes an enemy to us. And so what do we do with our enemies? Well, you know, 
Sometimes we physically fight our enemies, although that happens less and less these days. More often than not, our enemies become our scapegoats. And so all of a sudden, the other tribe over there that's disseminating a whole new set of information becomes the thing to defeat, right? The, the other tribe over there be, that's, um, that has that other information, they become the thing to own or the thing to get one over on. They become a scapegoat. How often do we say that the faults of our nation or the faults of whatever happen because of that other tribe over there? Let's build the wall because there's this other tribe coming in. Let's go ahead and say that we're in this pandemic because this tribe decided to do this or that tribe decided to do that. You see, when there's too much coming in, we hunker down in our tribes and we create enemies of those who don't disseminate knowledge the same way we do. And when we create em enemies, we want to create power over our enemies. And before I keep this all, you know, I I'm going to let you in on a little bit of my life and a little bit of what I think. Right? My daughter comes up to me the other day and she goes, Dad, Dad, I made a new friend at school. And I said, fantastic. I said, hey, how did you get to know your friend? What did you ask? And she said, well, I asked if her family liked the Make America Great Again campaign. And I said, well, what did they say? And she said, they didn't like it. And I said, good, because if they liked it, I would have told you to stop being friends with them because they don't share our values, which shows that I'm in my own tribe. I got my own tribe over here where I'm doing the same thing with the information I'm disseminating, passing that along to my children and then telling my children that they should also create the same enemies that I've created. So where does this leave us? It leaves us with this question. And this is the question I'm going to ask you all today. The question feels like a big, hard right turn, and it kind of is. Are you gentle? Are you gentle? People in the room, hello. Are you all gentle? No. Lots of no's coming from this room. People online, I'm going to get to read your comments later. Are you gentle right now? Are you gentle right now? See, we're in our Fruits of the, of the Spirit series. And in this series, you know, this is, this, listen, I'm preaching to myself in this series. I, if nothing else, I like it, so I'm just going to keep going. But, but here's the thing with this series. Um, we're creating a bit of a spiritual metric. What we've said is we've said that, you know, we're a church uh, that is an activist church. We're a justice-focused church. We're an inclusive church. We, we care about policy. We have a Bless the Ballot initiative. And the question that we continue to have is, is can we uh, still do those things and still call ourselves a gospel-centered church? And the goal or the answer is yes, but what's our metric around whether we're following the gospel? And what I would say is our metric are these fruits of the Spirit. Are we doing our work with love, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control? Are we doing it with gentleness? It's a metric by which we get to measure our good gospel work, the gospel work of Jesus Christ. And the one that I want to focus on today after we focused on love last week, I remember I said love is sort of the fruit roll-up. Dad joke. Right? And, and so then I said, all, all, everything else is sort of wrapped up in love. Well, now I want to talk about what it means to be gentle. And where does this gentleness come from? I want to tell you where this gentleness comes from. For me, it's Philippians 4, 4 through 7, and it says this. It says, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Also, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Thank you, Angela. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts, your minds, in Christ Jesus. Let your gentleness be evident 
to all. Now, when I think about gentleness, the idea of being passive or the idea of being meek is the first thing that comes to mind. Now, now that's not what gentleness is, but I will say that gentleness is not a value amongst the tribes that are, are warring with one another, right? That gentleness is not that value. Y'all ever written something on social media? You don't want to look at the comments, do you? Right? And for the, our writers out there, the writers who are out there that publish stuff in magazines, that get articles published on blogs, like, we definitely don't want to read those comments. Those will, those will put a hurting on us. There's not any gentleness there. That's the truth of the matter. Right? I think about gentleness in, in the way that we operate, in the way that our world operates. I mean, we spend 700 times more on our military budget than we do on anything else. The idea, uh, or our country is founded on, is based on the idea that we are power over. We are not a gentle, gentle group of people. Right? I, think, uh, I think that, that um, as parents, as, as those of us that deal with kids, there's a sense in which we're often not gentle. Now, there's a, sometimes it's kind of funny. Like, there's viral, you ever see those viral videos where, like, a kid will shoot a basketball and the, 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 an adult comes over and just, like, swats it out of the way? I may or may not have done that to my children on numerous occasions. But regardless, what about when it's more serious? What about when adults use power and are not gentle towards those that are younger? It creates a lot of shame. It creates trauma creates a lot of pain. We have to acknowledge that that is a symptom, that is a, that is a broken symptom of our lack of gentleness in this country. I think about our church. I think about, when I say church, not forefront, but big C, American church, and when you would ask anybody, ask people who are outside of the church world, they'll tell you that the church looks like a church that is working to uh, get as much power as they can possibly get in order to oppress and make sure that they uh, are, are in better positions than others, right? This is the truth when it comes to power. One more thing about power. I was reading this obituary the other day, and uh, it was uh, for a man named Sumner Redstone, who was a, a media mogul. And Sumner Redstone, uh, you know, made billions of dollars. And in this obituary, it said that he was hostile, he was an enemy, he participated in takeovers of people that were, uh, you know, that were not kind, that were not peaceful, um, hostile takeovers. Uh, his family uh, struggled with him throughout his life. And for one split second, having read all of this in the obituary, for one split second, I thought to myself, oh, if I was just a little bit more like Sumner Redstone, I'd be a little bit more successful. Because the bottom line is our capitalist society, it thrives on the premise that gentleness is weak and it's power over that gets us ahead. Right? That is what our capitalist society thrives on. Right? Power is a giant thing and all of a sudden Paul comes along and Paul says, hey, be gentle. And we might be like, well, Paul was like this good person in the Bible, blah, blah, blah. I don't, I, you know, I, it's, so it's easy for him to say be gentle. Except for the fact that when Paul is writing this letter, he's in chains. He's in prison. If anybody didn't want to be gentle, it was Paul. And he's in prison for unjust reasons. He is in prison because the Roman Empire at the time had a leader who did not operate in the realms of reality. 
This leader's name was Nero, and what Nero did was blame others constantly and scapegoated constantly and made his tribe bigger and better than every other tribe. So there was this fire in Rome, and what Nero did is he blamed that fire on a small sect of the Jewish population that followed Jesus. And so they started rounding up all these people who followed Jesus, throwing them in prison, killing them, and Paul was one of those people, a leader not rooted in reality who blames others. I don't, that's super unfamiliar. But that's where Paul was. And so Paul's in prison, and Paul's eventually going to die at the hands of this emperor. That's eventually going to happen. So Paul's at a place where Paul's at the end of his life. And being at the end of his life, he still says, he still says, hey, I want you to be gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to all. In your tribes, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, again, I said, what is gentleness? It's not meekness. right? It's, it's, not, it's not being quiet. It's not shying away. Well, like every other answer, when we're at church, the answer's in Jesus. Let's look at Jesus. And we know that Jesus wasn't gentle, but even Jesus says this. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So even Jesus says he's gentle, but we know that Jesus wasn't all that gentle. We know that he called Herod a fox. We know that he gave the religious establishment a really hard time. So what is gentleness? Gentleness is power under control. Gentleness is not the absence of power. Gentleness is power under control. You see, as we create enemies and as we disseminate information and as we're in our tribes, we seem to have this dualistic choice, this binary choice, this either-or choice, which is power over or have power against us, right? Those seem to be the two choices, but, but what Jesus is showing us, what Paul's showing us, is gentleness is power under control. It's a new way. It's a third way to use power. So let's talk about the way gentleness, this power under control, has played out. There's this story. Y'all know this story about a woman at the well where Jesus shows up? Yeah? Yeah? Huh? Yeah? Everybody, you, know what, you know what everybody's doing over here? Looking at their phones, y'all. Looking at their phones. <laughs> I know, I know. Power. So, so, so the woman at the well, right? She's a Samaritan woman. So if Jesus is in his tribe, which he is, the Samaritans were seen as subhuman. Which means that this Samaritan woman was subhuman, which means Jesus had every opportunity, every right, for that matter, to exert power over this woman. To say to this woman, you, as a Samaritan, don't belong in my presence. Right? That's one option. The other option is not to show up and see that woman at all. Right? Different tribes, enemies. And yet, what does Jesus do? Jesus says, power under control means I'm not only going to go up and talk to this woman, but I'm going to work in such a way where my words create flourishing for her tribe as well. And so Jesus starts talking to her about living water. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, this living water is only for you because we got to maintain that power structure over the Samaritans. No, Jesus says this living water is for all of you, and it's for all of your people. And so this woman goes back to her, her village, to all the other Samaritans who are considered subhuman, who are in another tribe. And, and she says to them, listen, there's this living water. And the living water, it, it stops the tribalism. It's, it stops the warring. What it creates is a flourishing for all of us. You need to be a part of this. And slowly but surely, we see that in Jesus, power under control is gentleness. And it's a gentleness that brings the flourishing of all humanity, not just for one tribe, but for all. 
And then we get the most famous story around, the one that we use all the time, even if we really don't know anything about the Bible. It's about the woman caught in adultery, right? And if we're talking about the woman caught in adultery, then Jesus has every opportunity to use power against the religious establishment. Religious establishment, you're crooked and you're awful, and I want to dominate you and make sure that you end. He could say the same thing to the woman caught in adultery. Woman caught in adultery, the law is clear. You broke it, you're in trouble. What does Jesus do? Power under control looks at the third way. And the third way says, you know what? There's a way to create flourishing on both sides. Woman caught in adultery, you're accountable to this mistake. You've made this mistake. But now go and sin no more. Grace. There's a grace for you. Hey, leaders. Leaders who think you're better than. It's not about being better than. Which one of you hasn't sinned? And there's a way that brings healing and flourishing, not just for your tribe. It's not about power over. It's about power under control. And it's in that gentleness that we get a lesson for the religious establishment, and we have grace for a woman who is caught breaking the law. I think about Peter. Y'all know about Peter? Yeah? yeah? Oh, good, good, I'm glad. Yeah, Peter denies Jesus. In his denial of Jesus, Jesus has every opportunity to say, Peter, be gone with you, you are finished. You are finished. And then Jesus can be really meek in this situation too and be like, Peter, eh, what you did was fine, eh, so be it. And yet there's this dinner that Jesus has with Peter where he says, you know what, Peter? You're going to use your mistakes. You're going to use your hatred. You're going to use your pain. And you're going to use it to bring the gospel. You're going to use it to create the church. And on you, Peter, my church will be built. And 2,000 years later, we are here because Peter heard, the, heard those words. You see, power, power under control says there's a third way to do life. It's not domination. It's not be dominated. It's there's a third way that brings flourishing to all tribes. That's power under control. That is the gentleness that is being talked about by Jesus Christ. That is the gentleness being talked about by Paul. That is the gentleness that we get to enact today. So here is the question that I have for us right now, and I'm going to ask a couple more questions. When thinking about those of us in this country, especially in this country during such a difficult time, are those of us, especially those of us not in our tribes, people to be defeated? Or does gentleness mean that we get to participate in wounds being healed? Are the people that are in the other tribes people that need to be defeated? Or do we get to participate in wounds being healed? What ways does this start? How do we start this? I think, you know, for me, again, as a parent, for those of us who are dealing with younger kids... Yeah, it's really, really funny when we pelt them with dodgeballs, which I may or may not have done. But you know what's not funny is using our power against those who are weaker. And so I ask us, in what ways, in what ways do we withhold a little bit of our power for those who are weaker? In fact, what ways do we give up power for those who aren't in a place of privilege to make sure that not just our tribe flourishes, but that every tribe flourishes? We talk a lot about defunding the police, right? And I think, I think there's still some, some uh, I think there's still part of that that needs to be defined. But the big thing I think about when we talk about defunding the police is I think about, you know, the what if. What if our law enforcement did not lead with power? What if they led with 
What if they led with power under control? What if they led with gentleness? What if their first priority was not to see someone as a, a person that needs to be dominated and defeated, but rather someone who is in need of, of flourishing, who is in need of rising up, who is in need of reinstatement? See, power under control, gentleness, changes the way we even go about policing, right? Stops incarceration, stops violence, stops vitriol. That's power under control. That is gentleness. As a church, you know, we have our tribe. And the easy thing for our church to do, the easiest thing for our church to do, is to sit there and go, well, those people over there are wrong. And the truth of the matter is, as a pastor, I say that often. People over there are wrong. And if we're going to bring flourishing, if we're going to usher in the next 500 years, like we always talk about ushering in the next 500 years, well, maybe the perspective is not people over there are wrong and need to be, de be defeated. Perhaps the new perspective is people over there have wounds that need to be healed. And my power under control, my gentleness, brings a flourishing not only for me, but for them as well. You see, power and control, gentleness, means that we're not out to defeat. We're out to heal wounds. The same way Jesus Christ wasn't out to defeat. The same way he was out to heal wounds. But then I have one more question I have to ask. This is the last question, I promise. And here it is. Are you gentle with yourself? Are you gentle with yourself? People in this room right now, are you gentle with yourself? Thank you all. People at home, are you gentle with yourself? Are you gentle with yourself? Uh, people at home, if you're watching right now, congratulations. You woke up and you are watching this service. People here, you woke up. I guess we're in COVID. We're in a pandemic right now. And the thing that we need to do more than anything else is, is, is say, hey, self, you got up and you've done something. Good job. And if that's all you do in 2020, get up and do something, just anything, put on shoes. Good job. Be gentle with yourself, friends. See, the thing is, we're not going to be able to help others flourish. We're not going to be able to heal other wounds if we're not healing our wounds first, if we're not gentle with ourselves first. And the truth of the matter is we are the hardest on ourselves. That's the truth of the matter. In fact, Brendan Manning says this. He says, one of the most shocking things about today's Christianity is the way that Christians are so hard on themselves and then believe that God is even harder on them. God's not hard on you, y'all. God is sitting there going, I love you so much. I love you so much. I come, I come in the form of Jesus, and I come in the form of Jesus to show you what gentleness looks like. It doesn't look like defeating another. It looks like flourishing for all tribes. But in order to make that happen, we got to be gentle with ourselves first. So being gentle might mean saying no. And in our Fruits of the Spirit series, you know, we talk about bridging divides and healing other wounds and reaching out to people in fear. And gentleness sometimes is going to mean that we don't do any of those fruits. Yeah. Sometimes it's going to mean that we create really, really strong boundaries, especially when people don't acknowledge our humanity. Somebody said to me a couple weeks ago, they said creating a boundary is the distance in which I can love myself and still love that other person. Sometimes that's the boundary we need to create. Sometimes it's a little too much and the vitriol is a little too much. That is what it means to be gentle with self. See, we're not going to be able to heal other wounds. We're not going to be able to bring flourishing to all tribes until we can do it for ourselves.
And at Forefront, we have groups, we have hangouts, we have different ways that you can interact, that you can help heal one another in this process, that you have a room to be gentle. Do it. Take time. Be gentle with self. Because the Lord is near. Now, when I used to read, be gentle, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near, it used to scare me a little bit. Like, be gentle, because the Lord's going to get you. Anybody else? Be gentle, because the Lord is not gentle. No. Be gentle, because the Lord is near. Be gentle, because trust, because we trust that the Lord is with us, walking with us, healing us. Can you trust that the things where you feel like, hey, I need to be powerful here, I need to step up, I need to do this, you trust that the Lord is doing it for you. And in trusting that the Lord is doing it for you, know that you get to have power under control for others. Can you trust that? Can you trust that the Lord is near? Can you trust that the Lord is near in your own pain, in your own hate, and when you get together with your tribe and you say, oh my God, that tribe over there needs to be defeated, can you trust that the Lord is near Working with that other tribe, bringing flourishing to that other tribe, restoring humanity back to that other tribe, that they don't need to be defeated, that Lord is near. Be gentle, the Lord is near. Can you do that? And with self, when you're sitting there feeling that shame, that pain, maybe you have been defeated, maybe there's a trauma there. Do you believe that the Lord is near, healing that trauma, bringing renewal to all of it, bringing a new story to all of it so that we get to retell. Be gentle. The Lord is near. You know why we are a church? We are a church because in the middle of all of our activism, because in the middle of all of our policy, because in the middle of all of our justice and all of our communal initiatives, in the middle of all of that, we believe that there are fruits of the Spirit and God is at work in them. And we believe that there is a third way to do life. You see, we're not doing that work so that we can defeat others. We're doing that work so that others who are under oppression, who have wounds that need to be healed, they can be healed. And we do that by recognizing it's not about using our power, but it's about power under control. A third way that brings about the flourishing intended not just for some, not just for a few tribes, but for all of God's kingdom. Oh, and to that, I'm going to go ahead and say amen. Y'all with me? Amen. God, thank you for the promise of gentleness. Thank you that gentleness is not being meek or weak-willed but it's recognizing that we get to use our power to bring about the flourishing of others. God, when we are tired, give us rest. When we are being oppressed, give us boundaries and space and let others fight for us. When we want to dominate, Lord, give us the ability to show radical grace, the same radical grace showed to the woman at the well, Peter, so many others. And Lord, we great, we're so grateful for Jesus Christ who comes. And in Jesus Christ's death shows us that gentleness does not, does not die, but is always about resurrection. Pray all this in your name. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.